Welcome to Michigan Opera Theater's Opera Here podcast. This is Andrea Scobie and Arthur White with Michigan Opera Theater. We are thrilled you have joined us today as we take a look at Janine Tesori and Taswell Thompson's opera Blue. And we welcome a special guest, bass Kenneth Kellogg, who originated the role of the father. And we'll be taking it up again here in Detroit in MOT's new production, which runs September 11th and 12th at the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater. Taswell Thompson was commissioned to write Blue after having directed several productions at Glimmerglass. He proposed writing something which inspired him and drawing from two literary works, James Baldwin's The Fire Next Time and Ta-Nehisi Coates' Between the World and Me. He drafted the libretto in six months and was loosely based around Taswell's life growing up in Harlem. Now, Taswell's father was a musician, uh, but Tesori asked whether the father's character could be a police officer instead of a jazz saxophone player. Thompson initially resisted, but later decided to pursue the idea when he thought about the duality of being a black man in blue whose son was killed by a fellow officer. Michigan Opera Theater is proud to present this new opera, which captures both the joy and the grief of a family, a father, mother, and son, and their community, as they navigate first hope and celebration, and later loss and reconciliation. As act one begins, the mother calls her girlfriends together to her apartment in Harlem to tell them that she's expecting a child. Their joy turns to concern when she tells them that she's carrying a boy. They warn her that her son will not be welcomed in this country. When her hope and her love for the child she carries and for the father, a policeman, will not be shaken, her girlfriends relent, blessing her and the child. The father's police officer buddies, on the other hand, are immediately joyful when they learn that their fellow officer has fathered a son. 16 years later, the son, a student artist and activist, frequently finds himself at odds with the law for his involvement with nonviolent political protests. The father confronts the son who pushes back, accusing his police officer father of upholding an oppressive system. Despite the son's bitter words, the father tells him that he will always love him and hold him close. When act two opens, we learn that the son has been shot by a police officer at a protest. The heartbroken father meets with the reverend who attempts to comfort him and encourages him to forgive. The father adopting the attitude of the son lashes out angrily. As the funeral for the son approaches, the girlfriends return to Harlem to support the grief-stricken mother as she prepares to lay her son to rest. The father briefly becomes lost in a fog of emotion, guilt, regret, and memory, then finds his way back to the community gathered around him in church. In an epilogue, we see the father, the mother, and the son together in a bittersweet moment around the kitchen table, sharing a meal as the son reconciles with his father and announces his plans for further artistic studies and one more peaceful protest. In talking about Blue, librettist Taswell Thompson has said, the times are fraught. Love, family, friends, and the church are there when we need them, and we need them now. We need a song to soothe our sorrows as we confront painful personal truths. We need music in our lives and our children near to help us repair heartache. Music to ultimately lift us and celebrate the bonds of sisterhood and brotherhood and togetherness. It's such a powerful statement. <laughs> 
It really is. You know, so often I've said, uh, you know, so many of our operas were usually looking at uh, subject matters uh, in the 19th century and foreign languages and that sort of thing. But to actually uh, be dealing with something in our language happening right now in our culture today is, uh, is quite powerful and pretty profound. Very profound and really important. I mean, I, I unfortunately, this is a piece that has, you know, continued to stay resonant, you know, after the events of 2020, Arthur, I know we've spoken a lot um, about its uh, almost increased resonance, which you hate to see, but it's really powerful um, to have an opera that explores these topics that helps us to find our ways into conversation. Um, I think that's one of the really important things about this opera is how it helps us to, to talk about these issues. Yes, you know, I would say this opera in a, in a, in a way that has not happened perhaps with our previous uh, offerings, we have engaged in a lot of conversation. I'm sure some of our listeners can go to, uh, to our website and Facebook page and listen to some of these conversations, community leaders, uh, policymakers, and so on. A, a lot of conversation has uh, come about because of this opera. Definitely. You know, at least for me, a lot of surprising things have come out of those conversations. You know, we've invited a lot of, um, you know, a lot of voices to the table. And I think that that's really important as we as we learn from each other and as we really explore these important issues um, and seek to find solutions. I completely agree. And I, I've learned a lot of things that I didn't even know were going on. Some organizations in our community doing some fantastic uh, work that we should support and uh, hold up. Definitely. And, and I'm so excited that this piece is, is coming to Detroit at this moment. You know, I've uh, been aware of Blue and Blue's development for a while. I mean, I remember hearing about the piece and just thinking this, this is a piece that needs to come to Detroit. Um, and I'm very glad we didn't have to wait too long for that to happen. I agree. I remember when they talk about the, the buzz uh, in 2019 when it premiered. Of course, this was uh, before names like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were in our consciousness. And so it seems like it's even more appropriate that it's coming to Detroit at this moment. So we're Absolutely. very excited. Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little bit about the opera's creators. Um, Arthur, what can you share about blues librettist Taswell Thompson? Taswell Thompson is an internationally uh, acclaimed director of opera and theater. He's a, an award-winning playwright, librettist, teacher, and actor. Uh, he has more than 150 directing credits, including 30 world and American premieres uh, in major opera houses and theaters across the U.S., France, Spain, Italy, Africa, Japan, and Canada, uh, including Glibberglass, uh, New York City Opera, Teatro Royale, La Scala, uh, Opera Bastille, Cape Town, Tokyo, Vancouver, San Francisco, the list goes on, uh, as well as M.O.T., having directed uh, a very successful Porgy and Bess with us, as well as William Bolcom's opera, A View from the Bridge. Now, uh, his opera, Blue, of course, with uh, composer uh, Janine Tesori, won the 2020 Music Critics Association of North America Award for Best New Opera in North America. Uh, and the New York Times listed Blue as Best in Classical Music in 2019. And we're so excited to welcome him back to MOT, uh, as well as to welcome Janine Tesori. Janine Tesori is primarily known for her work in the American musical theater as a composer, arranger, pianist, and conductor. She's a five-time Tony Award nominee for her Broadway scores, including Thoroughly Modern Millie, Caroline or Change, and Fun Home, for which she won the 2015 Tony Award for Best Original Score. She has had a prolific career and composed not only for Broadway, but also for opera, film, and television. And she's one of the first female composers commissioned by the Metropolitan Opera. She's the founding artistic director of New York City Center's Encores Off Center series, the founding creative director of A Broader Way, 
an arts empowerment program for young women and also teaches musical theater composition at Yale University. Her music has been praised for its, quote, close to the surface emotion, structural rigor, and rhythmic drive. I am so excited to be able to hear Blue live in person. Um, I've been a big fan of Janine Tesori's work in the theater um, and just could not be more thrilled that this music, that this story is coming to Detroit. Um, and I'm even more excited to hear that music performed by our guest today, Ken Kellogg, uh, who worked closely with Janine Tesori as Blue was being developed. We are very happy to welcome Ken Kellogg to our podcast today. Praise for his commanding stage presence and rich resonant bass. Uh, Kenneth was born and raised in Washington, D.C. Uh, music has been a part of his life since grade school, and following his formal musical training, he's gone on to sing with many of the leading opera houses, including San Francisco, L.A. Opera, Washington National Opera, Seattle Opera, Atlanta Opera, and many others, including Michigan Opera Theater. Now, among his roles are staples of the opera repertoire, Don Giovanni, as well as Leporello in the Commandatore, Mephistopheles in Guno's Faust, Don Alfonso in Mozart's Cosi Van Tutte, Ramphis and the King in Verdi's Aida, Colline in Puccini's La Boheme, and so many others. Now, never afraid to step outside of the box of traditional repertoire, Mr. Kellogg has been involved in several new operas by Jake Heggie, his acclaimed Moby Dick at San Francisco, the West Coast premiere of Terrence Blanchard's Champion, an opera in jazz, and Daniel Sonnenberg's opera, The Summer King, about the life of Negro League great Joshua Gibson. Ken Kellogg, we are so excited to welcome you back to Michigan. You completed your studies at the University of Michigan and later bowed at MOT in our 2018 production of The Summer King. Uh, what does it mean for you to come back to this region, this area, in a production like Blue? Um, in my years in, in Ann Arbor were really formative. You know, I met uh, who a man who has become a mentor now in my career and in my life, um, Daniel Washington at University of Michigan. So I, I grew a lot as a man at, at in, well, in Michigan, at University of Michigan, and with the tutelage of Daniel Washington. And to come back to Michigan, it was always one of those things. I had a lot of friends who sang in the course while we were students, but I never did. And to come back as a professional singer. And there has been two productions and I did the Rigoletto and the Summer King. And to come back with a piece as special as, as Blue for the audience there in Michigan, um, it's, it means a lot. You know, and and the, the climate that we're in and the stories that need to be told in opera, Blue is a really important one. And to be able to share it with the Detroit audience is, is really special to me. It's a piece that has grown on me more than any other. And to be able to, to share it with, with MOT is, is really special. Yeah, you've just said that that piece has really grown on you. I'm hoping you can talk to us a little bit about um, originating the role of the father in blue. Uh, we understand that it was written with you in mind. Can you talk yeah. to us about taking on this role over these last few years now and the production's beginning and its evolution? Yeah, so I was, I was approached by Francesca Zambello um, who commissioned the piece for Glimmer Glass and Washington National Opera. And, you know, I've, I've known Francesca from my young artist days at uh, Washington National Opera, and she's just a staple in the business, you know. So she asked me to do a production once before, and I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm quite ready for it yet. And then I, I didn't know what Blue was about, but I knew Francesca Zambello was asking me to do it, and I wasn't going to say no. <laughs> I wasn't going to say no again. 
You know, I was like, I don't care what it is. And so she's like, let's get you in a conversation with Janine Tesori, who was a composer. And I was like, ah, okay. I had no idea who Janine Tesori was, like just clueless. So we had this hour long conversation where, you know, she told me about the piece, you know, told me about, you know, asked if I was interested, asked about my voice and said that she wanted me to do it. And she, we needed to meet so she could hear my voice uh, so she could write specifically for me. And after that conversation, I Googled, you know, Janine Tesori. I was like, what? <laughs> like it was a total surprise to me that I was just talking to the most decorated female musical theater composer. Um, so once I knew who she was, and I knew Taswell Thompson from his work at Washington National Opera, I knew the stakes were really high. And so I had a vague idea about what the piece was until I met Janine Tesori and Taswell Thompson in a rehearsal room at Washington National Opera. And it was just so Janine could hear, hear my voice. So they asked her to sing a couple pieces. And I did, and she's like, oh, you're more comfortable in this part of your voice. Um, like, let's explore that more. Can you do? So we experimented with a couple of things so she could figure out, you know, what to write for me specifically. And as they were talking about the piece, they realized I was totally oblivious to the depth of the material. And Tazel, you know, it's like, have you, you know, have you read the libretto? And it's like, no, like I haven't read the libretto at all. So he sent me a copy and I, I read it for the first time. And I just sat and cried because a lot of the material in the libretto mirrored my life. And I was, my wife was pregnant. We just had our, our son, Jaden, our first son. And a lot of the conversations that happened in the libretto, my wife and I were actually having in real life. So it mirrored, um, you know, my current state so closely in talking about raising a black boy in America and, you know, all the considerations and the fears and wanting to protect and, and being afraid, but also being hopeful. So I knew I had to do this, this opera. I, it felt, you know, one, it felt, you know, Jeannie was writing it for me, but it felt like my life uh, at that moment. And it was the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, things were really heated. And, you know, as a singer, you know, as a man, as a singer, um, at some point I, I considered quitting singing. I quit, considered quitting singing opera because it wasn't really serving, you know, things that I felt were really important to my soul at that moment. You know, I, I considered, you know, a bunch of different things to try to directly impact the Black Lives Matter movement and try to make some difference in a different way, which I felt opera wasn't doing. And subject matter of opera, this wasn't tackling things that were were hurting me the most. And I felt deeply, deepest about. Um, and then Blue came along and it was it, it was it was a, it was a recharge. You no, know, it was a repurposing of my life as a musician. Like I began to realize that there is power in music and there's power in in opera and that we can make a change doing what we do. Like I'm not a lawyer, I'm not you know a teacher. I know I could be. I mean, I'm very capable. <laughs> um, I'm not those things. I've trained my entire life to be a singer and to impact people with my voice through music. And Blue became the vehicle for that. So I went from, from not really wanting to sing it anymore to having to sing and needing to find in every piece that I do that 
that meaning, um, that thing that speaks to humanity. And I found that through through Blue. So tell me about this. So you originate the production from the very beginning at Glimmerglass. You were due yeah. to go to Kennedy Center. I know you're from the D.C. area. The COVID shutdown happens. Uh, the events of 2020, uh, you mentioned already the murder of George Floyd and this global pandemic uh, that uh, disproportionately affects the Black community. What is it like now to re-inhabit this role? Uh, and uh, how has this piece taken on a new resonance since this all this happening? You know, when first doing the piece, I, I hope that it wouldn't be pertinent anymore. You know, doing a piece like this is, it's painful. And the subject matter is, it's such that you hope that it was, uh, you know, just a flash in the pan. You know, you wish it was a one-time thing. But this is a pain that our community has been dealing with generation after generation after generation. And, you know, you wonder if, Whenever you do an opera, you wonder if it's if it's relevant to the time. And unfortunately, you know, after the premiere of, of Blue, I mean, it's still relevant, <laughs> as relevant to to the time as as it was when it was first first done. How people will receive it, I I don't know. I mean, I know the initial response of audiences was, was very overwhelming because we were at the height of emotion. But now things are settled. We are moving in different directions. I hope we still have that 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 awareness and that emotion and that empathy for the lives that are continually being lost every day. So the piece hasn't changed. The emotions haven't changed. The reality hasn't changed. But I wonder if we've if we've we've moved um, as a society moved on to other things. COVID is a big thing now. Um, Blue I, needs to remind us of, of the emotions that people are dealing with every day. Thank you for that. You know, there's there's tragedy in this opera, but I think importantly, there's also um, a great amount of joy in this opera, particularly throughout the oh, first yeah. act. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what it means to present this everyday, close-knit, joyful Black family. Um, is this healing? Is this revolutionary? Um, what is this like to be a part of? I mean, it's definitely healing in a lot of ways. You know, being a black singer, there's always the, the talk of, oh, I wish we had an opera that just, you know, showed us being us. You know, we we always talk about wanting an opera that you know, genuinely show the relationships of, of of black people or cultural cultural differences. Because a lot of time when we do operas, we are taking on characters of other uh, ethnicities, so we have to pretend a lot. Um, but with blue. Like when we first got to the first rehearsal, we instantly felt like family. You know, everything was so familiar. There was no pretending. All the emotions were easy to recall. Um, and it's, oh, it's, it's tricky because you, you hear blue and you hear about the, the, the subject matter. Immediately, you, you are drawn to the police violence. You're drawn to the, to the emotion of that. But largely, blue is about the love of a family it's about community it's about friendship it's about how to overcome pain it's about love it's about joy it's about you know new birth that is largely what what blues is is about but you know the, the climax which is what we all tend to remember in a piece is you know that that tragedy um but i think the the beauty of blue is it shows 
how a family and not necessarily gives in to, to, the, to the tragedy of the piece, but tries to overcome it through community and, and love and togetherness and trying to find that joy again after dealing with so much loss and so much pain generation after generation. It's, I mean, it's largely gratifying to be able to, you know, look at my black wife on stage and, you know, look at our, our son for the first time. That's largely gratifying because I don't think it, it's happened and it's never happened in any opera that I have done, that I haven't had to pretend to be something else and I can just be myself. You know, we, that's what we're pushing for, stories to be told that really reflect the genuine humanity of a people, you know, be it, you know, black, Asian, you know, any minority who hasn't had their due and hasn't had their, their voices heard on stage. I think we are pushing in that, that direction. And Blue is, I mean, Blue is a, a good start to that. So Ken, you're uh, quite a tall man at 6'5", with a, a big voice, a great attribute uh, to having some of the uh, imposing roles you've done in the past, the King, Ramphis and Aida, Mephistopheles, Zarastro, uh, roles you've played, as I said previously. Uh, but you've also been praised for your tenderness and emotion. And how do you combine mm -hmm. all these qualities as the stern but uh, loving father in blue? <laughs> well, I am a father, so that helps. Um, and there's something about becoming a parent that changes you. It changes you as, as a man. Before I had kids, I had you know, often men out in the world try to put on this, this strong front. You know, we're, we're told that we have to be strong and solid and um, be a certain way. And you know, I had a conductor friend who told me, you know, you'll never know love until you see the face of your child for the first time. And it was so true. You know, I saw my son's face for the first time and my whole world changed. Um, I became softer. Um, I became gentler. I became more myself. Um, because, I mean, this life is so fragile and you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't be hard. You don't, you don't want to be hard when approaching something so, so gentle. Um, and it calls for a tenderness. Um, but I'm a softie anyway, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm six five, you know, almost three hundred pounds. But yeah, I mean, that's just perception of, of, of what the world thinks you should be. And once you get to know me, I'm I'm a pretty pretty gentle guy. That's fantastic. <laughs> so as Arthur mentioned, you've done so many roles in uh, the traditional operas: Don Giovanni, Eugene Onegin, uh, Magic Flute, Bohem. But you've also been in many new works, including, as we said, The Summer King, uh, in Champion, in Moby Dick, and now Blue. What are the challenges in, uh, inherent in performing contemporary repertoire, um, and what is it like to live in both worlds? The challenges. Well, depending on how difficult the music is, that that's the most challenging thing. The new language of, of composers is not often what we're trained with in school. Um, we're often, you know, Mozart, Verdi, Puccini are the things that we're often trained with. Um, but when you get into these new works, composers are finding new languages and new musical idioms and ideas to express themselves in. And you have to find that freedom in your craft to be able to, to accomplish those things. And often the training we're getting in college doesn't teach that. So being secure in, in your tech technique and in yourself as an artist to be able to really allow yourself to explore colors um, is, is a challenge, uh, but also a reward, you know, because you get to really fully express yourself as an artist 
from an artistic standpoint, from an interpretation standpoint, it's absolutely amazing to be able to, to discover and create something that hasn't been done before. You know, often when you do traditional roles, you are trying to, to live up to the legends who have done it or people's interpretation of it. But when you're doing new roles, it's, it's all you and it's all your artistry. And eventually people will look at what you did to, to try to bring their interpretations to life. So it's, it's, it's a gift and a curse because <laughs> you could horribly screw it up. But there is a certain, there's a certain freedom and then certain, as an artist, you know, you want to be able to explore and you want to be able to create and doing new works allows you to do that like, like no, no other. Ken, can we go back to something you had mentioned earlier? I know that you had received a certification from Cornell University to consult with performing arts organizations in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm wondering, what do you make of some of the shifts that are underway in the opera world? And how have you been involved in some of those efforts? And where do you think the industry is in terms of uh, achieving greater equality? Of course. Yeah, so I chose to get my certification from Cornell. Um, it, was a, it was an interesting thing that happened when and of course, the murder of George Floyd and, and COVID happened, and you know, the call for equity, diversity, inclusion, and offer started to get louder. Um, there's this very interesting thing that happened with with black artists. Um, companies started reaching out to 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 black artists that they trusted and had a relationship with because they didn't know what to do, and they didn't know how to address the diversity, equity, and inclusion issue. Um, so I found myself consulting companies, telling them, you know, you should think about this and think about that when engaging or like your track, track record doesn't show <laughs> that you believe this. You know, companies started wanted to put out, you know, statements of support of the Black Lives Matter movement, but they were very hesitant because, I mean, they, they knew that if they put a statement out, then their track record wouldn't show that they were genuine. So there was this, you know, what do we do? And I had my personal experience and I had my own ideas, but I didn't have a very structured language to talk about it with. So I got my certification to, to get a structured language to be able to speak to organizations who were asking me questions about how to go about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so I, I'm on a few DEI committees for different op companies now. I consult with different app companies about their, their, their goals and their procedures um, to achieve equity, diversity, and inclusion. Where I think we are, it's interesting. There's, there's, there's a lot of companies, I and mean, the easiest thing is to put black faces on stage and think that they're doing the work. And we've seen a lot of companies you know, hire more black singers as a result of this push for, for diversity and inclusion. But that's, you know, that's the easy part. I mean, companies need to start hiring people with, with say in how the company is run and giving everyone in the company a, a voice. And, you know, it's you know, the boards, it's you know, what's on stage, it's who's making decisions, it's who's writing the checks. It needs to be diverse across the entire company, not just on stage. I think we're in the very beginning stages of achieving you know, true equity, diversity, and inclusion. I mean, companies are hiring more. I mean, every you know, every company now has, you know, a DEI staff member that's responsible for those initiatives, which 
can be a good or, or bad thing. Because <laughs> um, the good thing is that they're taking the initiative. It could be a bad thing that you hire someone to address, and specifically, and whenever someone hired to, to take on this role, they're often a person of color. Um, so you're hiring a person of color to deal with your issue of people of color, which is kind of <laughs> kind of backwards and puts the responsibility on someone who it shouldn't necessarily be on. You know? And often those positions don't really have a lot of say in how the company is run. And it can be just a show as opposed to taking real, real action. So I, I, I think we're in the very early stages of, of achieving true equity, diversity, inclusion, and opera. But I'm, I'm happy to see that it's, it's happening and the attention is, is being put on it the way yeah, that it is. Ken, you mentioned earlier um, that you were considering leaving the industry. You felt like the, the, um, the work wasn't feeding your soul. And so a piece like Blue comes along and sort of gives you a new perspective. What does that mean going forward? Are you still going to be able to go back to Don Giovanni or Onyegin? Uh, what do you What do you think as you go forward in your career? Uh, is, is, will you have more problems going back and looking at some of these, uh, you know, traditional works? That's a great question, actually. I'm, I think it it rang true for a lot of people involved in the production of at Glimmerglass, and we all we all still talk. We're all still you know very close, very we communicate quite often. Um, and we all, at some point, was like, you know, it's, we were all involved in separate pieces throughout the world, you know, different pieces, traditional pieces. And there was this collective feeling of, you know, this doesn't feel the same. You know, after doing Blue and going to other pieces, you know, it just doesn't feel the same. That intention isn't there. That just clarity of understanding on a, on a heart level just wasn't there. Um, I remember my first production after Blue. Like I was like, oh, <laughs> like it felt so. It felt empty. Like my soul felt empty. Yes, I love the music. Yes, I love being around my colleagues. But my soul felt empty doing the piece. So I had to, and I wasn't aware. I wasn't aware that that would that would happen. Um, but once I became aware of it, I had to go in and whatever piece it, I was doing at the moment, I had to find that heart in it beyond just learning the notes, beyond learning the staging, beyond just the surface things, which I traditionally did when, when learning a piece. Um, it was a very surface understanding and surface emotional level that didn't cut as deep. So after the Blue experience, after the experience of Blue and just that, that heart connection um, and that depth of understanding on a level beyond intellectual understanding, I had to find that in every other piece. So I just did a production of, of Giovanni and I played the Commendatore. And, you know, before, you know, coming out, you know, to fight Giovanni in that first scene, it was like, you know, a father protecting his daughter, you know, and like I have a daughter now. So that meaning for me is so much deeper and I understand it on so much, um, on such a level that I didn't understand it before. So I, I try to connect on, on um, a heart level as opposed to an intellectual level now when I approach pieces. 
can you talk a little bit about your preparation for the role? You talked about the process, you know, originating it, kind of the evolution mm -hmm. of the piece from Glimmerglass on. Um, how did you, what steps did you take to kind of inhabit the duality of this black man in blue, this police officer, this father, the many, the many hats that this character wears? What was that preparation like for you? You know, the preparation for this piece was unlike any other piece, largely because one, you first, it was a, it's the first time I'm able to really inhabit a black man that I just really understand. You know, I'm a father, he's a father in the piece. So I would sit with the score, you know, night after night and, and I'd play through scenes and I'd just start weeping. I've never done that with the score before. I would literally just start weeping, just plunking out notes and practicing the piece because it felt so intimate. It felt so close. And no piece has ever been been that close before. Um, I had difficulty, you know, trying to figure out you know, how I would play a police officer because you know, I've had horrible experiences with police officers growing up and they weren't, you know, so friendly. So to inhabit a police officer, I had to find a way, find a way in. And the way I found, found, found my, I found myself in, in realizing what a police officer's intentions are, especially, a, you know, a black police officer. So I had to think back about my, my childhood and, and my life and seeing all the things that I saw. I, I had to rationalize, you know, the choice of a black man having the career of a police officer, you know, a black man choosing to police officer, to be a police officer, sorry, was, was puzzling to me. I've, I've known a few of them in, in my life. But I had to find my particular way in it with my experience with police officers. And I found that in realizing that if I saw what I saw growing up as a Black boy, then I want to make it better. Like, I want to do something to make that existence better. I want to do something to make my community better. And for some people, you know, the choice of, of how to make that situation better is to be a police officer, to go and to your community and fix the things that you see wrong. Um, so I was able to find myself in police world and <laughs> realizing that his goal, the father's goal in, in the piece is to make the world a better and safer place for his son, which is exactly what I want to do as a father. So I could find, you know, my father world and my police world and the realization that their goals are exactly the same, but it should be exactly the same. Um, and, you know, trying to make the world a safer place for their kids and, and every other kid in, in the world. Um, so that, that part, that mental part of, you know, trying to divorce my, my experience with police officers and to inhabit a police officer on stage was, was a tricky one, but that's how I found my way in. Um, and, you know, being a father, it's just, it's instinct, you know. Um, I am a father and I love being a father. Um, and it's interesting, we were on stage, you know, rehearsing the first time. And there's a scene in the beginning where she hands the, the, the son, hands the, the child to the father for the first time. And there's a whole shtick about, you know, you're holding him like a football. But it was so natural for me to hold the baby that, like it didn't work. You know, so the director was like, hey, you're holding a baby like you know how to hold a baby. And it's like, well, I do know how to hold a baby. So um, 
this piece felt very instinctual for me. Uh, so preparation was was very easy in that way, but also very difficult because you, in the piece, as you'll see, like I literally had to face my worst fear um, every day in rehearsal and every performance on stage. Like I had to really tackle some some emotional demons and emotional challenges and and thoughts that I never want to 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 think and hope, realities that I hope I never experience. Um, and I always say this, you know, I've said it in interviews quite often that Janine Tesori in rehearsal one day, she said, you know, this piece is going to cost you something. And I didn't understand what she meant um, when she said it initially. But after, you know, rehearsing the piece and doing it several times, I realized the cost. There's a heavy emotional cost to doing a piece like this and, and facing those, those fears every performance. And you know, I had to ask myself: Is is that a price I'm willing to pay? Um, is that cost something I'm willing to pay? And it absolutely is. You know, the impact that I've seen it have on audiences, it's it's worth the price as an artist for me. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you so much. Wow! Oh my pleasure. Ken, as we um, as we wrap up today, you know we're coming to the end of our time together. We thank you so much for your time. I, I wonder what what are the final thoughts or the overarching thoughts on Blue that you would share with Detroit audiences um, as we look toward its opening here on September 11th. I would say come with an, an open heart and open mind. You know, Blue is is a piece about love and family and community. You know, often you know. It's, it's sold as an opera about police violence, but it's, it's not really. Um, it's, it's about all those things that we, we love in a community. It's, it's about um, friendship, it's about passion, it's about caring, it's about love, it's about pain. And it touches, it touches the soul in a way that I've never seen any piece do. Like I've never been in an opera where the audience is just absolutely silent at the end and there's crying you can hear the tears you can hear the the, the gas um and you can hear you know the the, the the realization sit in to the soul um after that last note i can't even say downbeat because i mean the end of the piece is an acapella acapella piece but bring your tissues <laughs> um and prepare to be moved which i think is the goal of any piece if anyone chooses to go to the theater i think they want to go to be moved. And Blue does that, like no other, no other piece that I have, have been a part of. Well, thank you for that. We are eagerly awaiting um, that moving experience coming up here in September. Um, Ken, thank you so much again for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to be able to speak with you. My pleasure, my pleasure, thank you. Thank you so much, Ken, for joining us today. And thank you, too, uh, to everyone listening to our glimpse into MOT's production of Blue. We hope to see you at the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater on September 11th and 12th at 7 p.m. To purchase tickets to Blue or to find more information on the production, visit our website at michiganopera.org. You can also connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks again for joining us today, and we'll see you at the opera.
Come on, all private, walk in, lock down. This is not a deal.